to say her name on the radio. That's usually where I say the name in a joking fashion, but I'm not going to do that. And I probably asked her out a thousand times in eighth grade, which nowadays would get me in trouble. And it would not be good. But I was always kind to her. She was always kind to me. But I'd asked her out a million times, and she was never going to date me because I was a total loser. And I had just come over from uh, a Catholic school now to public school, and I wore socks all the way up to my knees. And I can't believe nobody told me how stupid I looked. I'm wearing shorts that are above my knee and socks to my knees, and no one told me. No one. Or maybe they did, and I just was ignorant. And I know the bullies actually sure did point that out, but I thought I was just being me. I had no shot with this girl. And on the final day of 8th grade, I asked her out, and she goes, I got your answer for you. I'll tell you right now. And she's got a marker. She said, I'll write it on your head. And I thought, this will be cool. Nope. It was not cool. She wrote never on my forehead. No. It happened. Point being, I didn't get the message till... I got it written on my head. I didn't get the message till I kind of got smacked in the face. Kept asking, kept asking, not every day, but probably once a week. Hey, I know you said before you don't want to date me. I know you said before that it ain't going to happen, but I'm cool. Look at my socks. Look at my Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I'm in the chess club. Let's do this thing. Yeah, I'm a future drama student. Yeah. yeah. Let's get down to business, girl. Yeah. I'm a drama kid. I'm a thespian. I don't know how you roll, girl, but I'm a thespian. And she writes on my forehead, never. But up until that point, I just thought, maybe one day, right? I'm an acquired taste. You grow on me. I grow on you. Persistence is attractive. Yeah, right, exactly. No, it gets written on my forehead, never. And that was it. That was the end of it. The NFL's been telling me no for a while. The NFL's been telling me, This ain't kosher for a while. The NFL's been telling me guys are getting carted off the field every single game for a while. And I've been blissfully ignorant about it until never was written on my forehead. Until Ryan Shazier is motionless on the ground. Until Ryan Shazier has back surgery. We're not talking about a herniated disc. We're not talking about going to the chiropractor. He had his spine operated on. If it makes me a Nancy for feeling a little bit guilty moving forward, then okay, I'm a Nancy. Whatever the hell that means. A sissy Mary, as Mark Madden says. A snowflake, as has been said. If that's what that makes me, fine. But you know what I think it makes me? I think it makes me human. I think it makes me empathetic. I think it means that I understand. And if you want to keep watching football, I get that too. You have your Sundays. You love your Sundays. You love watching football. You love everything about it. There's a nostalgia factor there. It's a bond between you and a team and a team and a city, and you can't get away from that. Fine. If that's the case you want to make, I understand. I'm not going to begrudge you. I'm not going to tell you you can't do what you want. But I will say, transparency being the number one virtue of the Crowley Show, that I feel guilty now watching football because these guys don't know what they signed up for. They say they do. Mike Mitchell said that he does. He doesn't. They don't. They can say all that they want. And you can hear it because, of course, you want to hear it. It's always easy to hear the things that we want to hear. I had a guy, Byron, right on my Facebook page the other day. 
He doesn't like my show because I'm a big old Mary Lib snowflake. And he was never going to like me. He said, stick to sports, don't talk about politics. And I very rarely get into politics. There's a line there, and I feel like you can tie things into the real world. I think that's what makes radio fun. I think that's what makes this show unique. You can tie things together. If I had been talking about politics he liked, boom, he's listening. You want to hear what you want to hear. That's the way life is. Do I look fat in this? No. Great. In reality, I do. That is life. It just is. And you as football fans hear Mike Mitchell say, we know the risks, and then that's your talking point. That's what you echo. Oh, they know the risks. They get paid millions of dollars. They know the risks. Most of them will be fine, and they still get millions of dollars. It's a trade-off any of the rest of us would make. Okay, but you hear what they say and you echo it because you just want to watch football. And again, if you do, I get it. I still will. But a part of me now... Feels different about it than I used to. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Do you see what happens to the Browns today? Typical. Same thing that always happens to the Browns. I actually thought it wouldn't, but it did. They fired Sashi Brown, their general manager. Two years on the job. Two years where he had said and the organization had said that they were trying to lose. He did something right. He did what he said he was going to do. They lost. They got a bunch of draft picks. And then he got fired. I thought Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, would take a page out of what he learned as a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers and keep around a little bit of continuity. I thought he'd keep the general manager there for a little while. I thought he would keep the head coach there. Hugh Jackson for a little while. Apparently Hugh will keep dancing on. But not Sashi Brown. But here's what's going to happen. It always happens in Cleveland. If you're going to clean house, clean freaking house. Now, I would suggest you don't. I think continuity is king in sports. Look at the Steelers. It's king. You can keep those people if you hire them to do a good job because you think they can do a good job you allow them to do the good job that you think they're going to do but if you are so set in your ways and you do want to change something fire them both because here's what happens now Hugh Jackson is still there the general manager is not they'll bring in a new general manager who's ultimately going to want his own coach but he's going to wind up allowing this coach to stay another year and then fire that coach after that coach goes 4 and 11 4 and 12 5 and 11 6 and 10 you'll fire Hugh Jackson at that point saying he didn't achieve our expectations and he's also not my guy so you set yourself back another year by firing the GM but then you'll set yourself back another year by not firing the coach at the same time it is classic Cleveland they do it all the time they'll fire a GM and not the coach or fire the coach and not the GM they won't stick to their game plan and that's why for the last 10 years they have not had a winning season typical Cleveland Browns I've heard some say that it would be good for the Steelers if the Browns got off the ground no it wouldn't it's good for the Patriots if the Bills the Jets and the Dolphins get their heads out of their behinds no 
It's nice to get two extra wins a season. So that's dumb. You want the Browns to continue to fail. But speaking on behalf of a guy who's got family in Cleveland, give him something to watch. Holy crap. They won one out of 27 freaking games. What the hell are they doing? Now, that was part of the plan. Now, I don't think they wanted to be this bad, but the losing was part of the plan. It's asinine to say, hey, here's our plan. We're going to lose. We're going to we're gonna build up a bunch of draft picks. We're going to trade our good players away to get draft picks. And then in a couple of years, our talent is going to be outstanding. And then you fire a guy for doing exactly what you wanted to do. My head's going to freaking explode. Sashi Browns learn nothing. The Cincinnati Bengals, for all the crap that they got going on, for the embarrassment that they are to the league, I'd rather be an embarrassment this way if I'm the Bengals organization than the embarrassment the way that they used to be. You know what they used to do? You know who they used to be? The Browns. They kept Marvin Lewis around. Marvin Lewis has been there 15 years. That's continuity. He's actually taken them to the playoffs seven times. Unheard of in Cincinnati in the decade leading up to Marvin Lewis being hired. Continuity is important. I say it all the time. The Giants had continuity with Tom Coughlin. They model themselves after the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coughlin leaves. They say, see you later. They bring in stupid-looking Ben McAdoo. McAdoo-doo. And all of a sudden, they suck. Continuity is king in sports. Jamie Dixon, great. Get rid of him? Yikes. Pitt hasn't had continuity in football since... When? Jackie freaking Cheryl? They've been nothing since. Continuity is vital to sports. It's why the Browns are the Browns. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Usually I like to read the tweet before I read it on the air. Got a tweet. Going to read it now. I agree with what you're saying about football in general and Shazier in particular. Playing devil's advocate, would you feel the same about all of this if no Steelers were involved and if it were players from teams you didn't care about? Good question, yeah. The reason is I like people. And I like football. And in order for football to continue to exist, Keith, compromises need to be made i said it in the last segment if you want a marriage to exist you need compromise if you want a friendship to exist you need compromise if you want to reach a deal in congress both sides reaching across the aisle you need compromise in sports you need compromise and in this instance the national football league can take away a couple of the violent hits while still having the inherent violence of football and that'll prolong the life of the game. So, as a human, want to see people stop getting their heads ripped off. It's like Game of Thrones out there. And number two, as a football fan, I want to see football exist for a really long time. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. We're going to get to hockey coming up next with Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. It's Star Wars night. At PPG Paints Arena, so we're at Buford's Kitchen right now. Bud Light on special. Come on by, have a couple. Justin Schultz is hurt. And I think this puts a big wrench in the Penguins' trade plans. We'll discuss with him coming up. It's a Crowley Show. 
and involve probably a defenseman coming back the other way. Um, I think that was always sort of on Jim's mind. I do think they want to get a defenseman before the trade deadline, but it wasn't as urgent as it is now if they're not going to have Ian Cole and, uh, and Justin Schultz, obviously. And, and at this point, you'd probably prefer that guy to not necessarily be you know, a slow-footed guy. They need somebody to uh, be able to skate and transition the puck out of their own zone the way Schultz did. So, again, I, I wouldn't say it stops it, but it certainly complicates it. Yeah, no doubt about that. Jason, uh, I do think that Chris Letang had a setback the other night. I know that the puck going off his stick uh, has been talked about a bunch. That's not really what I'm talking about here. That's going to happen. That's hockey, right? But I, I don't think he played a great game overall. But I thought he'd been trending in the right direction. Uh, I think largely uh, things are pointed up. The arrow, as Mike Tomlin would say, is pointed up for Chris Letang. Uh, what say you? I, I, that that's what I say as well, man. I, I'm not about to worry about Chris Letang. I, you know, I realize some of the struggles that he's had this season. I'm not trying to say they haven't occurred, but on the list of things that potentially worry me about about the Pittsburgh Penguins, I don't even know if Chris Letang's on it. Like he'll be fine. I, I had a chat this afternoon, and there were people talking about wanting to bench him or healthy scratch him or something like that. Like, you know what? Latang has earned more than that, man. He struggled a little bit, but you let a guy like that swing his way out of the slump. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I get limiting his ice time, but right now with Schultz out, there's really only so much you can do, and uh, he's going to get better. He's going to get a lot better. The fact that Latang has been healthy. He's now able to, he, use, he likes to use the term build his game, but basically just play a lot of games in a row, get in a groove. And the fact that he's been able to do that, I, I have zero concerns about his game. What do you think about the Penguins' game overall? Uh, they played well, uh, I think, the last five games. Sloppy against the Rangers, but they played well enough, in my opinion, to win. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me had we been talking about a five-game winning streak at this point. I think we're starting to see the Penguins that we expected coming in. Yeah, I agree with you, Adam. I think their overall team game has improved quite a bit. Um, defensively, they're a lot better. Uh, they they weren't, you know, the one aspect sort of cropped up on Tuesday were the odd man rushes, but I don't know. I've seen more good than bad in that department lately. I'm not willing to crush them over that one aspect in one game. The penalty kill has gotten a lot better. It's had to have gotten a lot better. Power play's always been there. Five on five, they're scoring. They've gotten good goaltending. Um, you know, they need to continue to get a few goals. Not that it's been any great stretch from their bottom six, but I do believe they're going to be getting more than they've gotten. Is that going to be enough? I, I have some concerns there, but overall where they're at, I agree with you. The past five, six, even seven games have been pretty darn good for this team. I wouldn't read too much into the result Tuesday against the Rangers. Just a couple fluky bounces, but I do think tonight's game is relatively big, man. I mean, you know, normally the Islanders in December, like I wouldn't get all jazzed up over it but you know you're looking at on one side of the coin you've got a two-game losing streak all of a sudden both against metro teams both in regulation if they would lose of course and then you win you can just write off the last one so i don't know there's a decent pendulum swing here some intrigue tonight yeah i think so too and jason mackey the post gazette joining me on the crowley show here's something that i never thought was in doubt Sidney crosby playing like Sidney crosby again and he's doing that uh, i joked yesterday that by what maybe the end of the month uh, maybe the beginning of next month Sidney Crosby is going to be top three in the NHL in scoring I don't think that's out of the question uh, what has he done to turn his game around or is it just kind of good luck now uh, swinging back that pendulum that way 
Yeah, Sid's done a lot to change his game around, man. He's laced up his skates. He's gone on the ice. He's taken shots. I, I don't know. Now, it's funny. Like there, There's certainly no magic bullet for what Sid has done. He's done this all season. Uh, not to say that he's played you know, his be- the best hockey of his career the entire season, because he hasn't. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But, uh, you know, the one thing I respect so much about him is the effort is always there. Like, the puck wasn't going in the in the back of the net at times. So what? Defensive games there. His face-offs have gotten a lot better. Um, he's always working, generating stuff with his line. So, uh, again, he's doing more of that. I do see him playing a little bit um, closer to the net, a little bit below the goal line, a little bit more. Uh, and those things are good with Crosby. And I, again, he's another one of those guys. Phil Kessel is a second one I would put in this category, though. That no shot is a bad shot. Just yeah. shoot it. And even if you know there's like 0% of a scoring chance, it gets him in the game in a big way. And I feel like he's had more of a shoot-first mentality and thinking a little less about creating. It's been good for him. Malkin's line was dominant the other night. Uh, we, again, saw the Malkin that we always kind of uh, expect to see. And not every player is going to play at the top of their game all the time. We just talked about Crosby. We've talked about Chris Letang. But it's always great to see when Malkin starts playing at his peak, and I think we're seeing that trend in the right direction big time. I think we are too. And there's kind of been a nice balance with their top six, I feel like. And part of that is Malkin and his line and how well they've fit, but also Crosby, Sherry, and Hornquist on the top line. I, I do believe we're sort of poised or ready or something like that for one of those just Malkin monster games, Adam. He's had so many scoring chances the past couple, and you know, he's gotten a couple points, but honestly, he could have, you know, three more goals than he has right now, just based on the past two games, and I don't think anybody would bat an eyelash. He's playing really well, really aggressive. I like that line and the different elements that it gives Malkin, you know, it gives kind of a a playmaking back and forth element with Gensel. He did some of that with Sid, and then the trigger man and Phil. Uh, I really do believe that line has the possibility of just being absolutely bonkers good. Uh, they've sort of sniffed it a little bit. And, you know, the way Kessel's going this season, the way Malkin looks right now, I'm interested to see what these guys do tonight. Jake Gensel is honestly unbelievable to me in that he's his stature. And yet, if you look back at the first 100 games, I think it is, for Penguins wingers, uh, he's right there with the greats of all time with the production that he's been able to bring there was question not too, too long ago about whether his game would be able to be sustainable in this league. And, man, there's not a doubt about it. When talking about the Penguins' core, man, I'm interjecting him into that conversation moving forward now, man. Ah, uh, absolutely. I could not agree more. I swear sometimes that Jake Gensel is made of rubber. Like, I'm <laughs> saying that somewhat jokingly, but that kid gets bounced around, gets hit goes to the battle areas, all this stuff. He bounces right back up. It's no big thing. You've never seen him, you know, seriously felled by an injury other than uh, the thing in uh, Buffalo kind of had him down a little bit last year, if you remember that one. I forget who clipped him. But, um, just a tough kid, a brave kid. Mike Sullivan likes to use those terms. But I've been really, really impressed with him. He's so smart can shoot the puck, knows how to play the game, good demeanor with him. It's funny, too, that you know, you're around the team every day and to see Gensel kind of opening up a little bit. Like, he was joking back and forth with Dan Potash in Buffalo. And, like, he's so quiet, he's so reserved, and some of his personality is starting to sneak through, which I think is a good thing for him. 
Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show. To circle back to the first topic of conversation, not the trade aspect, but the injury aspect, with Justin Schultz out, what's the plan? Well, uh, Chad Ruedel's going to play, and that's not a big thing because Chad Ruedel has played much of this season and played well. Um, and, and that's basically it. As far as the second power play, Schultz's other duties, you're going to see those go in the foreseeable future, at least to Ole Mata and Brian Dumoulin will go with a 3-2 and two look. And I, I would expect them to stay with that, too. I don't think they're going to go 1-4 on a second unit without somebody like Justin Schultz. Chris Letang will get the lion's share of the power plays, um, or the top top units work, and you know, five on five, I don't think it's really, I don't know, I, I shouldn't say it's not that big of a loss, but they are in sort of a unique position and that Chad Ruedel has played so well as the number seven that they're able to plug him in there and there's not going to be a terribly huge drop-off. I think the other thing we need to kind of look at here, though, is what if somebody else gets hurt? And with this group of defensemen, it is a legitimate question most nights. And right now you've got Frankie Corrado as your number seven. I worry a little bit more about him, so... You know, if they're going to be able to pair up and, and be mobile and go left-right the way Sullivan likes, I don't think that's a problem. You keep Dumoulin and Latang together, you know, probably Schultz and Ruedel, or I'm sorry, Cole and Ruedel tonight. But I don't think there's going to be a huge shakeup. It's just how far down the depth chart do you have to go. Last thing here for you, Jason. Uh, Ole Mata's having himself a very nice year, and I'm happy because, man, he gets so much undeserved criticism uh, and he's still such a young guy. Uh, I'm rooting for him personally, and then, of course, his successes all help the Penguins. Yeah, and you should root for Ole Mata. He's one of the one of the world's nicest people. He really is, and he's been having a great year. I know he has points in two straight games, or I believe he has points in two straight games, but you know, his game isn't about piling up points. Like He's going to get some just by virtue of, of what he's able to do, but I thought he's been really responsible, good two-way game, most of the season, we, we've seen Ole, and I think this is one reason why he's so polarizing in the fan base. It's just like some of his gaffes are so bad. Uh, like when he messes up, you know, he doesn't get cheated. It's either somebody blowing past him or just a really, really big goof on an outlet pass or something like that. But, again, those are just like the mistakes that people see and then grab onto. And he hasn't had them this season. He's been very consistent, very quiet. Like, how many times have we watched the Penguin game and, and sat here and talked about, man, Oli Mata was bad. What was wrong with him? You know, it just, it hasn't happened a ton. And I agree with you. I know every week when I do my chat, like, it's almost like you can count on a, a why, why don't they trade Oli Mata question in there. And thankfully, in the past couple weeks, they've gone away. And, um, Mata's just been, been very solid, happy for him. He's a good kid. I've heard a lot about you, Dr. Jones. Goodbye, Mackie. Goodbye, Crowley. Jason Mackey, the Post-Gazette, very good at what he does. Appreciate him coming on, as always. Cause was going to refer to him as Jar Jar again, but if he didn't get it the first time, and if he didn't get it the second time, really, he'd just be dumb at that point. But Jason's not dumb. Coming up next, we've got Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette. I don't love stacking guests, but we've been moving things around. That's just the reality of the business. Before we do get to him and back to the Steelers conversation, do you see what Rob Beer Temple tweeted? Pittsburgh Pirates reporter for the Trib. Here it is. Quote, former MLB exec told me the Pirates offseason plan, in-season success, hinges on pitching staff taking next step. In that case, it's not outrageous to think the team's most important addition this winter might be assistant pitching coach Justin McCade. 
This is why I root for the Indians now, boys. This is why I started the Pirates Mutiny back in the day. This is an exec. I'm telling you exactly what this is. It's an exec hearing from the front office of the Pirates. Talking to a Pirates beat writer. And then tempering expectations for what this offseason is. And when you hear that the most important addition is the assistant pitching coach. What happens after that seems great no matter what it is. When you start a negotiation, if I'm coming in trying to negotiate my next contract, I'm asking for a million bucks, right? And then they're going to counter with their offer. And whatever I then come back with next is going to seem reasonable compared to my million dollars. Whatever the Pirates do this offseason is now going to look better because that addition is better than the assistant pitching coach. And it's the Pirates just doing what they always freaking do. It's the Pirates just trying to manipulate you through the media. Manipulate. Manipulate. Wow. A little too much emphasis there on the nip. Don't know how that happened. Clearly not Freudian. So just keep that in mind as the Pirates approach the owners' meetings. I've said this a million times, but I'll say it again. The only reason that Neil Huntington goes to the winter meetings is for the free friggin' food. Jerry Dulac, next. It's the Crowley Show. Something with the spinal cord, and it's probably a good chance it's a concussion, possibly a contusion, but we don't know that. And to even say that that's the case is, uh, you know, could, could be inaccurate. So that's why it's really, it's really not fair to say what it could be or what the ramifications could be. Just as a surgery could mean um, good news long term and, uh, you know, bad news short term in terms of, you know, him possibly being able to play. I will say this. I was on the phone today with DeWan Landry, former Raven safety, who suffered a similar type of injury in 2008 in the third game of the season. And he never played again the rest of that year because he was re stayed overnight. He was released. He lost all sensation in his legs and his arms. But it came back to him shortly. He stayed overnight and then was released. But he never played again the rest of that year because um, he continued to have some tingling and some numbness and things like that. But he had spinal fusion surgery in the offseason then and came back and played six more years in the NFL. Uh, and he had a contusion on his spine, which is basically a bruised spine. Uh, now, uh, you know, there is a difference between a spinal cord concussion and a spinal cord contusion. People seem to lump them together. Well, there is a difference. Um, I believe that the spinal cord contusion is worse than a spinal cord concussion. Um, but in, in, in DeWan Landry's case, um, he then, as I said, came back and had that surgery, never had another problem, doesn't have a problem to this day. I think he's been retired from the league since 2014, I believe, was the year. And um, But he played for two other teams in six more years and never had an issue and still has it. So, you know, and he had, he had his surgery later. Now, again, it could be an entirely, I mean, somewhat different issue. And that's, you know, the, you can have, you know, a, a similar type of injury, but with different kind of different um, 
uh, symptoms and, and results. Ben Roethlisberger had a spinal cord concussion in uh, 2008, in the last game of the year, that people seem to forget, and they forget because it wasn't it wasn't revealed by the Steelers as such. It was just said to be a concussion. But if you go back and look, it was it was he was told, and it was confirmed by me um, that he in fact had uh, a spinal cord concussion. But his symptoms went away, uh, his numbness went away almost by the time he got to the hospital. He didn't even stay overnight. Tommy Maddox, who you recall in 2002, was kept overnight in observation, but right. I, I talked to him as well today. And within three or four hours at the hospital, he had regained his feeling. And he did not play the next two games. But then he played, uh, you know, came back uh, in that dreaded uh, Houston Texans game where they lost 24-6 to or whatever, and they, the expansion Texans. And if you recall, the Steelers outgamed them. 447, 422 yards to 47 and lost 24 to 6. They lost, I remember that one. Yeah, and Tommy threw two interceptions and lost for a touchdown returns, and he lost a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Um, so, I, you know, there, it, 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 kind of, it kind of shows itself in different forms. So, I mean, does Ryan Chazier have a spinal cord concussion? Well, again, that's all we'd heard from the players from a couple of them Sunday. But that doesn't even mean he has that because we're we're just not sure. We just don't know. Jerry Dulac from the Post-Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show. Jerry, of course, a member of the Steelers radio network. Uh, Jerry, I do want to get to the game this upcoming weekend with all due sensitivity to Ryan Shazier, obviously. First, though, just can you paint a picture of the guy that you have known in Ryan Shazier? I know that the relationship that with these guys uh, they're professional obviously but i always found whenever i was in there ryan shazier to be one of the consummate professionals and to be a very good likable man yeah and that's why he's liked by his teammates as well and that's why he's viewed as a leader and not just probably the most important player on that defense as we we all basically know um so th- those players respect him as a player they like him as a person and um you know there's a lot of them that are that are, um, you know, saddened and, and certainly, you know, concerned. I don't want to say sure. saddened because we don't know the the ultimate outcome. But they're certainly concerned, and they were certainly stunned uh, the other day. And you heard different responses. You know, some guys said it took them a whole half. Keith Butler said today that he thought it took them a whole half to kind of shake uh, what they had seen and, and get back to playing. Stephon Tuitt told me the other night that, you know, that uh, while wow, you're upset and maybe the first snap back seems strange, um, but, but you're a professional and you have a job to do. And, and I think that showed. I think that showed. And I, I think what happens in these instances, uh, Adam, is that people want to affix an emotion based on the outcome. For example, had the Steelers lost, they would have blamed it on heavy hearts. Sure. If the Steelers won, people want to say they won one for, for Ryan. The reality is they're professionals, and they still go out, and maybe it takes them a snap or two, and maybe they have to shake some of the, not lethargy, but just the shock of what they had seen and the concern. But they get back to playing, and they do what they have to do, and that's what they did. Did they win one for Ryan? No. If they would have lost, did they, did they uh, lose one because they had heavy hearts? No. It all comes down to how they play as professionals. And while it does affect them because they are human beings, in the long run, they all feel they have a job to do. Jerry, the Ravens next up on the schedule. And 
They tweeted out that John Harbaugh led a prayer for Ryan Shazier uh, prior to their team meeting, which I think is classy. And I think that there's a difference between the way that the Ravens view the Steelers and the Bengals view the Steelers. I think that there's respect between these two clubs. Uh, I'm looking forward to this football game coming up on Sunday night because I think it is going to be uh, a great game. Baltimore's playing their best football. Uh, The Steelers... Yeah, they got that one against New England coming up, but it doesn't mean they want to beat Baltimore any less. Uh, Can you handicap this one for us, Jerry? Well, Adam, it's hard to argue um, with what the Steelers do. Um, They've won seven in a row. People can nitpick and and say that they're not playing very well and they don't make it look as easy as New England. But there's something to be said for, for being resilient and having resolve and finding ways to win uh, in the last minute and coming back from 17 to 3 and 17 to nothing, which we haven't seen Ben Roethlisberger do the last couple of years, and he's been doing it routinely now, and they are winning when they don't have their A game. And when they have their A game, they beat Minnesota. When they have their A game, they go to unbeaten Kansas City and just dominate them. When they have their A game, they beat Tennessee by 40 to whatever it was, 17. Uh, and when they don't have the Ray game, they're still winning. They've won seven in a row. They're 19-3 and three in their last 22. Name me another team in the league aside from New England that even comes close to that. Nobody does. So they find ways to win. And when you're 19-3 and three in your last 22 games, you do something right. So um, while Baltimore has won three in a row and, you know, they don't allow a lot of points, as we know, three shutouts, um, we saw what happened the first time, and I left that game out. They went to Baltimore and won where they hadn't won in five years. Um, so I, I would expect if the Steelers don't turn the ball over and give you know give them some some return touchdowns as they do better than anybody in the league. Let's face it, they should win because they're they're. I have the same feeling that Mike Tomlin does. I don't want to say they should win it all, but them and anybody you know name two other teams maybe. Who should win it all? And and because any game they play, for the most part, they're going to be favored because they're that good, and they find ways to win. So I expect them to do the same. Does it mean they're going to? Maybe not. But um, they are better than Baltimore, and they should beat them. They're back at home in prime time. We know how Ben performs then. You look at this, what does he have, 12 touchdowns in the last four uh, four games? So I uh, I would expect them to, uh, to play well and, and win the game. Jerry, really appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Adam, always good chatting with you, and uh, be well. We'll catch. We'll uh, talk again next week. You too, sir. Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Sponsored by Coors Light. Proudly served at Carson City Saloon, Southside featuring $5 Coors Lights for $11 during all Steelers games. That's where I'll be tomorrow. Tonight, I'm here at the Terrace on 5th atop Buford's Kitchen. Come on by and get a Bud Light. It's beer, and it's delightful, and the Penguins will be playing the Islanders later on. We're going to get to Tim Benz coming up in a few minutes. I said I don't like to stat guests. Things happen. You move things around. I have certain guests that I have on Thursday. They all had to be lumped together. I ain't complaining. That's just reality right there. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. That's 412-922-2874. I'm going to get into this in depth tomorrow but i'm going to touch on it later on in the show as well but i'm just going to bring it up here kevin stallings pit basketball coach was brought in under false pretenses baby he was brought in to play up-tempo basketball 
He was brought in to have a high-flying scoring attack, and while his team is young, they're not playing the way he said that they should play. His team is 301st in the country in adjusted tempo. 301st. Repeating again for effect, 301st. Only three of his previous 16 teams finished in the top 100 in adjusted tempo. So coming in, he said he plays a high-paced, high-octane, kind of like Todd Graham style of basketball. But the reality is he's only played that way for three of the last 16 years, and now he's not doing it at all. His teams aren't able to run the floor. They've struggled when they get sped up. Stallings, again, hired on false pretenses. Up next, Tim Benz from the Trib. My God, there's a lot of ground to cover with him. And it's nighttime. It is dark. The official vampire of the Crowley Show joins me after the break. 